You're listening to Grow Yourself Up, a weekly mental health podcast hosted by Kath Cunahan. I'm a psychotherapist, writer, and speaker working in private practice in London. I specialize in the impact of our own childhood on our parenting and how we can heal and integrate our childhood trauma, wounding, and stress so that we can inhabit our full adult selves. Join us each week as we talk about all things growing ourselves up, how we can tend to ourselves in our parenting, generational healing, and overcoming the impacts of childhood trauma. Together, we will become more self-compassionate, connected, authentic, resilient, and heart-centered, so we can live our own full and beautiful lives. As a listener of this podcast, you're welcome to come over and join the Facebook group. So search on Facebook for Grow Yourself Up. It's a private Facebook group of all the listeners. And did you know there are journal prompts that go along with every episode? So sign up for the journal prompts on kathcunahan.com or go to my Instagram, kathcunahan, and sign up at the link in the bio there. And you will get my newsletter, Nurture, Heal, Grow, which contains all the journal prompts. Looking forward to seeing you in the Facebook group. The podcast is produced each week by the wonderful Audio Cafe. Thanks for being here. Hi, everyone. It's episode 23 of Grow Yourself Up. We're talking again this week about people-pleasing and some of the challenges with people-pleasing and how we work to shift some of the aspects of people-pleasing. So if you want to know more about people-pleasing, I suggest you listen to episode 21, which I was a solo episode, and episode 22 I did with Tamu Thomas. That was my first guest. She had lots and lots of wisdom to share. Hope you enjoyed that first episode. And do get in touch with me if you have an idea for a guest you'd like. I have got a list actually of guests and I'm working through contacting people. But as with everything, there's always time pressures. And honestly, sometimes I want to release a podcast every day because I've got so many ideas and so many people I want to talk to. But the physical constraints of my own life prohibit that. So yes, if you're waiting for a response from me, or if you're wondering why I haven't covered what you've emailed me about yet, it's because of that. So let's um, think a little about people-pleasing. Now, people-pleasing at its core is self-abandonment. So it's the idea that those around you, and by the way, it doesn't have to only be people. Sometimes we people-please our pets. Sometimes I read in a book, someone who they shared, he apologized to a chair. So it could even be inanimate objects. It's kind of a conditioning and a learning that we get in our family that everything else around us is more important than us. And our okayness in the world is dependent on those around us, inanimate objects, people, pets, whoever, being um, pleased with us. Now, obviously, this plays out in our imaginations or in our minds because we don't know actually if people are pleased with us. We intuit it and we pick up stuff from their nervous system out of our awareness all of the time. So often we can be pretty accurate about what's going on. However, we don't actually know. So I really want to kind of highlight that this is like a, a fantasy projection where we think we're trying to please someone and often we might get it very wrong and it takes us away from the job of actually tending to ourselves. Let's just do a little bit of a recap about why this arises. So 
I'm always scanning for patterns in um in my clinical work and and trying to sort of synthesize things and look at them on the simplest level. But often actually it's helpful to talk about detailed scenarios like even for example why does people pleasing arise? I can tell you at a high level that people pleasing arises primarily because we don't get our own needs met in childhood. So we are not tended to sufficiently to understand that our needs are important too. So then we go on to learn in our family of origin that we actually need to attend to the needs of those around us because that's how they are pleased with us. People pleasing is one of the biggest um, generational patterns that I see passed down. And it often plays out actually in the mother-daughter relationship where you can see how a mother had a tricky relationship with her own mother, where she always felt that um, the mother's needs came first and that she was just there to serve the mother. But then she perpetuates the same pattern with her daughter unwittingly. And that's one of the things that's really useful to interrupt, actually. So that's why tending to your own needs is absolutely core to interrupting this pattern in your own family. I want to really reiterate that all of you listening to this podcast, you are warriors. You are working to change patterns in your own families and in your own lives. We are cycle breakers, whether or not we have children. You're working to bring in more healthy, more connected, more securely attached patterns in your own life. And that is a a strong and brave position. So I really want to commend you. And this idea of trying to stop generational patterns, the core pattern of um, self-abandonment, is just such a brave and joyful thing to do. As I say this, I'm like getting a smile. It's it's wonderful. You're listening to this, um, that we're talking about, that we're having these sort of conversations. I want to kind of give you a bit more of a flavor, I guess, for some of the patterns that do lead to people-pleasing. Also, it's it's quite complicated, people-pleasing, because it's something that's very celebrated in society, being nice or believing that other people think you're nice or that you get things done or that you are a good person to have around is often part of our um, our self-concept, and so it feels really important to continue with that, which is also one of the reasons why it might feel really hard to kind of break away from people-pleasing. But let's talk a little bit about what happens in families where um, people-pleasing arises. One of the scenarios is if you're a parentified child, so that would mean that you are doing adult tasks as a child, you're, you're acting as a little parent. It might be that this typically often happens to an eldest child. It can happen to, to the other children in the family, though, and it's around um, often you are your parent's emotional confidant. Um, you help them problem solve, or maybe you do all the problem solving. They really lean emotionally on you. You might also be doing a lot of different tasks in the house. and. It's not something that your, like your parent will come down one morning from the, to the breakfast table and say, okay, like I want you to be my emotional support. It's something that you pick up in the field. So you, you understand that your parent can cope. Children are very, very, very perceptive. And, um, when we see our parents on coping, they're really struggling. It might be emotionally. It might be that they're fighting with the other parent if there are two parents around. It might be that they have a lot of overwhelm in their own life. Uh, maybe they've, maybe they're ill. Maybe they've had depression. Maybe they have a lot of anxiety. When we see that as children, we become aware that there's something that we need to do. And so we kind of start with this pattern of pleasing them because when we are people pleaser, we've started off with pleasing our parents. 
And so it could arise out of that. It can also arise in families where these broad statements made around emotions and how emotions are managed. So in many families, emotions have been seen as an inconvenience, not as something to be used to guide our lives, because really emotions are electrical signals in our bodies. We don't have to assign a moral value to them. They just are. They're kind of giving us indication of, of action we might need to take and how we feel. But in many families, uh, emotions are labeled as sort of groups of emotions are labeled as being bad. In some families, that you know, there'll even be explicit things saying, we don't do anger in this family, or we don't do sadness, or we don't do big displays of joy. We're not too like rambunctious or boisterous because we don't do that. We behave well. And well often means we behave in a very small band of feelings. So, you know, if you give that message that you don't do um, anger, where do you put your anger? Where do you put your sadness? We stuff it into us and we please. We work on being pleasing so we can please others so that we can see because our parents give us a mirror of ourselves and we want them to be pleased with us. Children naturally want positive feedback about themselves. So they, they look for all the ways they can get that. It might be um, a scenario in your family where you weren't allowed to do certain feelings, so you became pleasing. In some families, there's kind of an idea that we don't do emotions and we don't do anything that's messy or honest. We just want things to look good on the outside. And that might differ um, by culture, by country, by you know, there's many different socioeconomic factors that contribute to what people think looks good on the outside. But in like culture that I grew up on, there's an expression called keeping up with the Joneses. And people pleasing often goes along with that, where we just want to make it look like we're keeping up with whatever our neighbors are doing, essentially. And, and that means looking good on the outside. So to some extent, there's no attention paid to our internal worlds to the messiness of human emotions, to the honesty that might be needed to process stuff. We just want to kind of paper over that and make it look good to the outside. Achievement is often a big facet of this. So there might be have been language used in your families around doing well at school, external views of things. It's often around academics, what sort of job there is, what does the house look like, all of those kind of external material things. And it's often not actually said, but there's often an idea of we need others to think we are good people. We need to be good. And it's often a performance of good, actually, because often within the family, there might not be that much um, kind of goodness um, or wholesomeness or, or love, but it's a performance of of good and shiny on the outside. We want to be thought of as good members of the community, but it's such a kind of paradox in a way because there's the expression about charity begins at home. And I always think we are actually our home. Like my body is my home. Your body is your home. Actually, we really need to start with ourselves, not with others. So those are some of the kind of patterns or ways of being that might have been embodied in your family. Okay. So in terms of us growing up, an awareness that our parents cannot cope or they're struggling in some way, it leads us to minimize our own needs. And one of the biggest ways that um, that a, a young child actually learns around people-pleasing is if their own negative affect is not held for them. So when I say negative affect, I mean if you're having a meltdown. And I, I've talked about this a little bit in the previous episode, but the most important thing for our children 
is that we are held in relationship in our fullness. So all of me, the bits of me that shout and cry and the bits of me that do well at school. And that is often not done because, you know, it's very difficult actually for a parent and, and, and many of you will know this. I know this. It's very difficult for us to hold our children's negative affect when that hasn't been done for us because it is so triggering. It is so upsetting. It feels like we just need to shut down the meltdown. So as you notice your own people pleasing and as you notice how your children are, actually allowing them to protest, to, to have all their meltdowns, to talk back, that is useful and can help in terms of cultivating their own, um, ability not to people please. And they have to practice that at home. And it is, it's a complicated, tricky thing to have to deal with that with children. And I'm not suggesting they're not limits and boundaries, but allowing children to develop their own voice, allowing them to have expressions of sadness, to have expressions of rage, obviously while keeping the rest of the family safe, is very important in terms of them learning that all parts of them are acceptable. Another pattern which leads us to um, people-pleasing is if we are very praise-dependent. So there's a phrase which I can't bear, which is good girl, and um, that is kind of thrown around just everywhere as a way to um, kind of confirm that our children, and, and actually us as well somewhere, we're often told we're good or like well done, as a way to try and have more of that behavior. So we use that subconsciously often and it comes out of our mouths without even realizing it to try and get our children to do more of the thing that we are, um, that, that they've just been doing. Now that in some way makes our child praise dependent because of course they want to be told they're a good girl. But actually being a good girl is, is really not that beneficial for our girls. It's not beneficial for us as women. Um, and it's not beneficial for our daughters. And so, in some way, we want to move away from that type of thing in our society. My view on um, the those of us who are particularly vulnerable to the good girl kind of script, which exists in society as well, is that it's like a two-pronged thing. So I, I'm going to try and draw a representation of this. But on the one hand, we have what happens in our family. And on the other hand, we have what happens in society. Now, if we've had a very secure um, attachment at home and we were allowed to cultivate our ability to protest and we are allowed to have had our anger. We can have all our feelings. We learned we were okay with all of that. We are much less susceptible to what goes on in society because we have a strong sense of ourself. In our family, if we learned we needed to people please and we, um, we push down our own ability to tend to ourselves and we focused externally all the time. We are therefore much more vulnerable to what goes on in society. And it's like a double-edged sword. It, and the way I always represent it and talk about to clients is it's like a metal grate. So on the one hand, we have the things coming from our family and then we have the messages coming from society and they're linked together and it, it kind of chokes us and holds us down. And that's an image that I've, well, kind of a concept and an image that I've developed. So this concept I've developed is called the good girl grid. And it shows how what happens in our family perfectly kind of colludes with um, societal messages to keep us down, to keep us quiet, keep us in a stranglehold. And so I'll make a video of it and put it on Instagram.
the kind of uh, physical representation, how I demonstrated to clients and some of the drawings. Okay, so it's good girl grid. But that has the effect of choking us, essentially. We lose our voice, we lose our often our authenticity. And so we really want to undo that for ourselves. We want to kind of stop listening to so much to what society says. But the way we actually do that is to strengthen our own ability to tend to ourselves and stop the individual self-abandonment. So with your children, because this is you're always doing this work both for you and for your children, and also just for you, you know, you're valuable in in yourself, not as as your role as as parent or friend or anything. You're just valuable for you. Doing this individual work is so powerful because we each then see how other people are doing this work. And we go, oh, look, they are, they're not being that pleasing. They are tending to themselves. That means I can do it. We invite more people in our orbit into doing that work. So you doing this work is amazing work for your children and the collective of people around you and the wider collective. It's very powerful. So just before I talk a little bit about, um, the kind of the starting to shift the people pleasing, I want you to really think about this concept of, um, of, of people pleasing. And how it links in with how you view yourself. Do you view yourself as nice? Has that been important to be nice? Has it been important to um, be kind? What were the messages that you received around this as a child? Was it important to be helpful and agreeable? Is it important? Do you keep on getting that message in your adult life that it's important to be helpful and agreeable? Are you helpful and agreeable in all your friendships? Are you helpful and agreeable in your adult love relationship if you have one? Are you helpful and agreeable at work? Do you try and always be agreeable with your children? If your parents are still alive, do you always try and be nice and kind and helpful and agreeable with them? And then I want you to kind of ask this question to yourself, who is this serving? Does it serve you in any way? So does it serve you? And can you start to get more comfortable with the idea that you may not be that pleasing, you may not be that agreeable, you might have to tolerate some people pushing back on you changing. Can you start to, well, like, how does that feel in your body, even as you listen to this? It might feel like super threatening, because the idea that, um, change, I mean, changing patterns is, is, is a threatening idea anyway, but because people pleasing has got such early origins, it really can feel literally threatening to us to change that. And people pleasing is an energetic bodily based thing because we, we learned to do this from, like on a nervous system level via our sensory system. So as a people pleaser in adult life, we're often very, very hypervigilant. We need to be hypervigilant because we're so desperately trying to pick up signals from other people around how they need us to be. And so now what we want to do is we want to, we'll still be aware of those signals because this information comes into our nervous system all of the time out of our awareness. So we're always getting these signs of safety and unsafety. And now what we want to do is when we have that sort of energy and we feel like, oh, my boss is not that happy with me or my child really desperately wants to stay in the park and I am not going to use this information that I can see to please them. Instead, I am going to decide hmm, what would actually work for me in this situation. So the biggest thing that a people pleaser can do that we, me, I'm also a people pleaser, is getting more comfortable with this discomfort in our own body and processing that. 
So doing things that help us tolerate that and that help us to complete stress cycles in our body so that we can have enough self-mastery in a moment to go, oh yeah, okay. So uh, like, if, for example, if you're asked to do something on a parent-teacher's committee and you're like totally run off your feet and you definitely do not have time for it, but you get like an immediate danger signal when someone phones you and says, can you do this? And you feel like you absolutely have to say yes. I want you to really notice, okay, that feels really hard. And I'm still going to try and tend to myself. Now, this is a process. It's a practice, a practice, a practice. Notice how for you, it feels even as I say these things. In those situations, self-touch is a wonderful sign of giving yourself a sign of safety. So I often recommend put your hand on your own chest and just kind of say, I'm here for you because you, you really want to start to give yourself signs of safety to counteract the signs of unsafety. So I hope this has been useful. Notice if you have any of those patterns in your family. There are also other patterns. I'm not, I haven't covered everything that would lead to people pleasing, but you know, ponder about how much your own authentic self was seen as a child. Was that allowed? Was it safe? And know now that it's about shifting your bodily state so that you can feel safe enough in the moment to do something differently. And thinking ahead to situations which you might find tricky and role-playing and practicing are really helpful. This is not something you get right first time. You don't like sort of dance out of the house and suddenly you're like able to slap down boundaries all over the place and stop people pleasing. It's uh, an iterative process and completing stress cycles. So doing movement, doing exercise, crying is very helpful for actually completing stress cycles, um, doing this in connection with someone. So um, having a, a boundary buddy can be very helpful. Someone who's also practicing the same thing, doing the journaling questions with a friend will all help you kind of on an energetic level and to learn that you're safe now. Because remember, that hypervigilance, which has served you so well in childhood, now means you're scanning constantly for signs of displeasure from other people. And to counteract that, we want to kind of draw your attention to that so you can soothe yourself through that and to give you other signs of safety so that you can feel a bit more settled from moment to moment. Does that make sense? I hope so. So when it's just you, the hand on your chest is really helpful. Breathing is also really helpful in terms of um, helping you manage to feel more safe in the moment. That's often one of the hardest things to do, even though it is the most simple. Um, We forget about it all the time, even though deep breathing all the way down into our diaphragm is a great way to kind of ground us and make us feel or to activate the sympathetic part of our nervous system, sorry, the parasympathetic part of our nervous system. Okay, I can hear that I need to get a drink of water or something, but I'm thinking about you. Email me if you'd like me to answer some specific stuff about um, people pleasing and um, do sign up for the journal um, prompts if you think that would be useful for you to deepen into your own process. Thank you so much for being here. It is just a joy to be in community with you all. Bye. You've been listening to Grow Yourself Up hosted by Kath Cunahan. We'll be back next week 
with a new episode supporting you to better understand and tend to yourself for more heart-centered, connected, authentic, and resilient living. Thank you.